with this Netflix thing, someone had said like, come and go, this is this tweet's born for you. I just tweeted, nope, not touching this one. And it got 47,000 likes. Welcome to Food Marketing Nerds, your weekly serving of marketing advice and industry insights with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. What is up, everybody? Season two is now in full swing and we are kicking things off strong. In today's episode, we're talking to Arielle Rubin, who's the director of communications for convenience store chain, Come and Go. With 400 locations, they may not be the biggest player in the category, but you wouldn't know that by the amount of clout that they've managed to build up for themselves. And Arielle has certainly had a hand in that. Heading up communications for a company that services hundreds of thousands of customers a day is no small feat. Yet Ariel is still on the front lines of Come and Go's Twitter because of the upside the platform has for both PR and brand awareness. In today's episode, we'll talk about that, and we're also going to discuss the hurdles companies need to overcome to be authentic, what it really takes to build momentum on social media, and why sleeping on Twitter is a huge mistake. Let's get into it. Well, Ariel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, thanks for coming on. So tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself, how uh, how you got to the position that you're at today. Sure. So I'm currently the uh, communications director for the convenience store chain Come and Go. There are about 400 of them across the Midwest, mostly, uh, and the West. I actually kind of got here in a sort of a weird way. I, I wasn't ever actually involved in convenience retail uh, in my life. I I moved here from Switzerland to Des Moines, Iowa, where I live now. Uh, I was living in Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, I'd been there for three years, um, working as the uh, head of digital content for the International Committee of the Red Cross. So I was doing a lot of different things for them. Prior to that, actually, I'd worked for the United Nations. I was there for five years in communications roles, uh, two years in Turkey, and uh, three years in the Sudan, living in Khartoum. That was sort of my introduction to that world, the humanitarian world. Prior to that, uh, I did a, a master's degree in human rights and development at the London School of Economics. Um, I've worked in, as a journalist, uh, or trying to be a journalist at least, mostly failing, uh, in Uganda and in New York. Um, and I guess prior to that, I went to college uh, many years ago for uh, religious studies. I did religious studies um, at New York University. So the, the social and communications kind of learned through the School of Hard Knocks then? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It was... Well, I think... It was hard to, I guess I started as a media in journalism as a media guy. And it was sort of with the onset of the sort of, of Twitter becoming a real platform for communication and engagement. And this is like 12, 13 years ago for, I mean, this is for like international agencies. So I, I started the first Twitter handle for UNDP in Sudan. And this is like just the beginning stages of that. And then I found such an interesting way there to connect with people. I was being really stoked about it in a completely different way. Um, so that is sort of what turned me on to. I think kind of the power of how social media can work in really interesting ways and yeah, sort of developed from there. So you've got this really cool background. You've lived in numerous different countries and a completely different lifestyle and, and goal and focus than what you're doing now. Are there any parts or experiences starting your career with the UN or working at Red Cross that maybe give you an edge or a unique perspective that helps you in your current role? Ultimately, all we're doing is, is competing for eyeballs, right? We're just competing for attention. We're trying to tell... Uh, people with very, very, very little time and, an even, and maybe even less of an attention span, something that we think is really important that we're doing. And maybe we want to engage you somehow to get you involved, to get you to contribute, to get you to volunteer, to get you to, to care. Um, and, and really, like, it's not that different uh, from what we want to do at Come and Go or any brand, right? We just want to get your increasingly scarce half a second brain to focus on what we're doing and to stop and pay attention. So, the ambitions really, I think, are the same. And, and then I, I think the other part that I 
at least what I found really interesting about coming to Come and Go was Come and Go was a brand and a company that really wanted to emphasize, really wants to emphasize, I think, the good work it does in its communities, right? They give 10% back to the people, to the communities they work in. They have a long history of, of some really important and really powerful philanthropic initiatives. And they, but what they hadn't figured out really was how to tell that story. Uh, and so that was something I found really interesting coming from the humanitarian sector. I felt like I had a good grasp on how to tell those kinds of stories. And I think, again, that crossover to me that was interesting was that, and I think you see this in a lot of kind of values laden or purpose-driven brands, and that can be Nike and that can be, I mean, name it, is is that kind of conflation of our, like brands are trying to be almost like NGOs and NGOs are trying to be like brands, right? Like mm-hmm. everyone's trying to show that they're good and, and we want our audience to know or our customer to know we're, we're, we're the good guys. So I kind of saw really weirdly like a lot of similarities. And then the last point I would say is like with the onset of the coronavirus pandemic, um, it's just been so similar in a lot of ways to my previous work um, in, a, in an unfortunate way, I'd say, because obviously it's hard, you know, no one can really prepare for this. But, you know, we're all we're all struggling to figure out really good and appropriate and timely and strategic ways to communicate important things to our audience and to our to our customers. And so I had worked on the Ebola crisis a couple of years ago in, in the Red Cross. And so a lot of that stuff kind of comes back now at working for a convenience store chain in Des Moines. So I, I didn't expect that, but I guess it's it's probably, I'm not surprised actually either. Come and Go has this amazing distinctive voice on on social and cohesive feeling presence. I know that Come and Go is prioritizes sustainability along with uh, giving back to the local communities. So when it comes to the voice that you have on, on social and, and the different channels, how do you ensure that when you're talking about company values or maybe it's something more promotional, how do you make sure that that stays consistent with your voice that's a little edgier on social versus how you might present yourself as a company on in other mediums? For me, the strategy behind developing that voice on Come and Go, I want to make sure that when we have some really important, powerful thing to say, when we're here to announce and be one of the first convenience stores to announce that we're upping our hazard pay for frontline associates, that we actually have an audience to tell it to. I think one of the biggest mistakes that company that I've seen companies make is, is they have great stories and they have great news, but if they, they haven't spent the last six months or a year or however many years developing an audience, then they're just telling themselves. Um, it's, you know, you can have a great story, but if, if it's just going on your internet or it's just going to your audience of people that aren't engaging in your content, then, then you're not really, I think doing it like, you know, it's, it's, you're really kind of struggling there. So for me, when I talked about why I think it's, and this is internally, when I talked about why I thought it was really important to build that audience was I knew that we would be punctuating our year with these powerful messages. I, I, I didn't know it was going to be about a pandemic, but I knew that we were going to do some really nice things for the community. And I wanted to make sure that when we did those nice things, we actually had people to tell. Um, so that that development and that building of trust with an audience has been super important because when I do post, you know, yeah, I'll post funny, I'll tweet funny stuff. And then, but when I tweet stuff about how, you know, we're doing this for our associates or this is the steps we're taking, people now, they pay attention because they're there. Um, and I think the challenge is right with any brand is you want to balance that what you're, you know, the, that kind of messaging with the audience. I don't want to, I don't want to bore my audience. I don't want to alienate them. I don't want to frustrate them. I don't want them to be, I don't want to just sell them Red Bull. I want them to, I want them to like our, my, my company. I want them to like my voice. I want them to like my brand. So I think, I think both can coexist actually in a way because both the funny stuff and the the kind of more meaningful stuff 
can serve a similar purpose, which is to make your audience feel good about who you are as a company. Are you guys able to quantify that in any way that there's progress being made and how people are perceiving the brand or what the general sentiment is, whether you're making progress? Yeah. I, for me, the best way to like look at that, we've, you know, we have like half a million people in our stores every day. Uh, and when I started here, we didn't have very many followers on social media. And to me, there was a, there was a disconnect there because I think we have this great brand. It's been around for 60 years. It's family run, you know, still in Des Moines, Iowa, where they always, where they came from. And there was this, this story to tell. And I, I think I wanted to have an online audience that was more commensurate with the audience that we had every day coming into our stores and enjoying what, what we do. So our, as our online audience has grown and it's, it's grown quite a bit and the engagement's grown quite a bit, which is what's more important to me. I've seen just, I, I guess maybe it's, it might be more anecdotal, but I've just seen a lot more people say like, I love, you know, love this, like come and go is hilarious. Like people were always buying come and go lighters. We're named, when your store is named come and go, you're going to get plenty of people that are going to buy your lighter or your shirt because your name is come and go. Like that's always part, you know, that, that factor is always going to be there. But I think it's more about like people feel more aligned with our brand. And another thing that, has been important to me um, has been ensuring that, you know, there's kind of a, maybe a bit of a cliche about the Midwest or about Iowa being pretty homogenous and being kind of like, you know, a place with a lot of white farmers. And there are plenty of white farmers, but there are also plenty of other people. There's a huge immigrant population. Um, there's a, there's a substantial LGBTQ plus population. And, you know, we're also in Colorado and we're also in Missouri and Oklahoma. So we're in 11 states. So for me, it was also about how do we show, do a better job with representation on our social media and not just show white people enjoying pizza, but actually work with and talk to people who are from all parts of society and have them be part of it because our stores are full of everybody and we want to make sure that our stores always feel welcoming. So I, I don't know if I can say how I quantify this, but the woman who runs our Instagram is a woman of color. The uh, person who runs our, our TikTok is a young gender non-binary uh, person. It's important for me to have that representation, representation like behind the camera or behind the, the keyboard, as well, because I think it it helps us really build a lot more love for the brand. And we've seen that in the comments and the replies, and and we've gotten more engaged in some of those causes, like with Pride and stuff like that. So we're seeing we're seeing some really nice engagement there. With the uh, separate people working on these separate accounts, how do you mm -hmm. are you looking to ensure a consistent voice, or is it more concerned with consistent values? I think it's probably the latter. I, you know, for me, I, I think Twitter is the most important social media platform currently out there. It's it's a real play. It's a real originator of, of culture. I mean, it's really like a central point of culture. And I think you get once the stuff enters the bloodstream of kind of the internet. I think Twitter is a huge, huge proxy for that. So I, I find it really important. I also think I'm probably of the Twitter generation. It's more it speaks to me more. I'm 35, um, but I knew that for Instagram. I wasn't the best person for it. I'm not, I'm not great at Instagram. I'm not visual like that. I don't have that aesthetic. So I wanted to hire someone that really made sense for the platform. So we, the first person I hired was a young woman named Nadia Trimnell, who's got a, a huge following of her own on, on Instagram and who's, who's absolutely brilliant at it. She's totally cracked it. Like she's figured out why Instagram works and how to make it work for her audience. And I said, if you can make that work for your audience, can you make that work for ours? And she's done a really phenomenal job. And she's, she's 23 or 24 and she's perfect for it because I think she's just the right demographic. Going on further, when we started a TikTok, this is a few months ago, I wanted to find someone in the demographic that made perfect sense for the platform. I get TikTok and I've played with it and it's fun, but I don't really understand it. I don't really get it. I'm not their prime audience. I'm not their prime demographic. So we found through actually our partnership with the Iowa Safe School is a LGBTQ association that does some sensitization stuff for our teams. We asked them, I was like, who's the like, who's your favorite person on TikTok right now? Because they're always in high school. So they, they said there's this young person named Evelyn Meyer. They have 160,000 followers on TikTok and they just they just talk about 
being gay in the Midwest. And I was like, all right, I, I need to meet them. And I met them and they're phenomenal. And we hired them to be our TikTok intern. Like we created an internship and their only job is TikTok. Hmm. And they've gotten us, you know, we're at 10,000 followers in eight weeks. And it's entirely their voice, having fun in our stores with our brand, with our name, with our, just who we are. So I think to me, social media is about letting people reinvent your brand and be comfortable with that. I think the brands that are really particular and precious with their, with their, with their logo or with who they are. I think we live in a world now where people want to take it and make it their own. You know, they want to, they want to personalize it. So I kind of feel like kind of hold on to Twitter. Nadia holds on to Instagram and, and uh, Evelyn holds on to TikTok and we all work really closely together and suggest, suggest ideas. And sometimes I'm on TikTok and sometimes Nadia is on Twitter and we all share ideas. But ultimately I think that's a really, it's proven to be a really successful way to, to do it. You know, it's kind of platform first. So what went into getting buy-in from the leadership team to get them to that level of comfort with with your skills and understanding of the brand to uh, let you guys kind of run with with it on a, on the different platforms? I mean, I think I'm I'm really lucky. I, I've worked for places in my past where maybe there wasn't as much trust in me or whoever I was working with to just kind of go nuts. And I think it really all credit goes to my boss, the president. Of, the president of Come and Go is a 32 or 33-year-old young man, fourth-generation leader. Um, who completely gets this world. And his father, who's the CEO of the company, Kyle Krause, who's also, you know, he tweeted the other day, there's an article about our Twitter and, and Kyle had his great tweet, which was like, I don't always understand, I don't always get it, but I always support it, whatever they do on Twitter. And I think that is actually such an awesome way for a leader to, of a company to run. Like you don't have to be expected to get Twitter or get TikTok or get whatever. It's just that you should have faith in your the people you hire to, to run with it and go nuts. And that's not to say we sometimes don't, you know, hit a wall or maybe, you know, have to run down something back. But ultimately I think the key to success on social media, right? It's about that voice. And so that voice can only be real and authentic if it doesn't have to go through a million layers of approvals. And I think I feel really lucky to work for a company, a family company where they say, yeah, this is your space. Go nuts. You know, like obviously don't cross, you know, the line, we're always trying to figure out where that line is. I've had, again, I've had tweets that have not gone well, but, but really to have the faith from the leaders that we can do that, I think is what allows it to grow and, and build a kind of cult audience that we've had. So I know really owning the Iowa persona and being that the, the company is, is mm. based in Iowa and has a much higher location density. You guys do hilarious Iowa memes and yeah, does including a specific target geography like Iowa mm. preclude you from engaging people outside of the state or is it kind of we want to share what Iowa is about? Here's the thing. like I'm not from Iowa. I've only lived here for a year. I'm from the East Coast. Um, I think the thing that I think is really cool about Iowa and, and like the Midwest and kind of there are these companies that come from here from the Midwest that are just sort of iconic in that kind of great American sense. Right. And I'm going to say Harley Davidson, Miller Coors, Budweiser, John Deere, Carhartt, I assume Carhartt's from the Midwest. Like, yeah. I think there are companies in the Midwest that just sort of have a greater cultural relevance somehow because they're just like so American. And 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 I think for me, Come and Go is one of those companies. Um, again, it's like that those great American stories of like, guy starts a gas station in his backyard, it's a one-stop shop and turns into a convenience store empire with fourth generations down the road. Like that to me is like a really strong, powerful thing. And I, so I think... Yes, it's I can, you know, I make field of dreams jokes or like cornfield jokes or whatever. And it's very Iowa focused. But there's something about that that I think as part of like the greater American culture resonates. It resonates to me and I'm not from here. As of the content that you guys are putting out, I'm sure Twitter is probably much different than than the other platforms. Yep. But of the content you're putting out, what percentage would you say has a goal specifically to either drive foot traffic or to communicate some 
some company initiative that's that's not just for entertainment? I don't have like a percentage. There are certain initiatives that we we're gonna we've put out. And we will continue to put out. I I still feel like we're in early days where we're still building that audience. I think there are super clever ways we can do marketing, better marketing than just like being fun. On Instagram, we do a really good job, I think, of um, incorporating more of our promotional work and making that more part of the lifestyle. I mean, Instagram is so much more about that ideal lifestyle, that that like really great Saturday, that really fun road trip. It's a bit more earnest. Um, it's far more beautiful. So I think we do a better job on Instagram on being able to incorporate what we actually sell and and get people to engage in like certain campaigns. We did a thing last year with a fanny pack. I found the old logo. We made pink and neon fanny packs, and they were huge, like really good, really big for us, like a lot of fun. So we did a lot of stuff with that. You know, we took them to store openings and we put them online and do giveaways, and that was a great way. To, and we, we were getting so it was funny because we were getting people up until sort of you know the last few months when things kind of changed we would have these store openings where people would be waiting at 5 a.m. for the fanny pack. Wow. Um, so it was a great way to bring people into the store. And we put we would do fanny packs with gift cards and have like most of them $5 gift cards, but we'd throw a couple hundred dollar gift cards in there and make it like a thing, but you'd have to come to the store to pick it up. So it totally drove traffic. And again, it, like, it just turned on a younger audience to us. So like that kind of stuff I want to continue to do more of, the kind of like thinking about how we can do the, the real world activations that can kind of play into our online stuff that we have a lot of fun with. Yeah, I think you accomplished a really difficult task of making a, a gas station business really cool on social. The, the Instagram, uh, Twitter's hilarious. Instagram <laughs> has this trendy, it feels like kind of a fashion brand, to be honest. And what were some of the biggest challenges of, of getting to that point? It takes time, right? Like you're building an audience, you know, you, you need to get them to trust you and figure out who you are. And it's, I remember the first few months I was tweeting and trying to throw some stuff out there and it was just like, dying you know like every tweet was just like Oof. ouch and i was like these that's like this is good this is gold you know this is like funny stuff but it's like but the audience wasn't expecting that right the honest that wasn't in fact it wasn't even really the audience for it the audience that i've built in the last year that we've built in the last year is really the audience now that you know it's you see that engagement grow i mean it's obvious but it, it it's like you see the engagement grow as your audience grows because you're actually getting real audience that really is here for what you're putting out there. Before, I had the audience really just not engaging very much with the content we had been putting out. The tweets were not getting a huge amount of engagement. The Instagram was not getting a ton of engagement. So to shift that took time. It took time for Nadia to really kind of like figure out what we should be doing on Instagram, what works, what doesn't. It took time to figure out what jokes and what kind of tone really plays. Like it, it doesn't get awesome in a week. It, the content can get better, but finding the audience and getting that support and engagement takes time. The only place that hasn't been true, by the way, is TikTok, which is like, it's not a lot, but like 10,000 people in our audience in like eight weeks is blown my mind. That's insane. It's insane. And it's crazy engagement. Like I've never seen a platform that, you know, with that kind of like organic, and it's entirely organic, like entirely organic growth. Yeah. We've seen the same thing. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Videos will get a few hundred views and have a few hundred likes. It's absurd. I love what you guys are doing on TikTok, by the way. No, thanks. Well, props to Nate. Yeah, Nate's uh, hilarious. He is. Really, really love that dude. Yeah, really enjoy that. Yeah, good content right there. When it came to finally getting traction and figuring out the audience voice and building that engagement, whether it was building, gaining new fans that were the right relevant group or getting the, the existing audience used to what you were going to be posting moving forward, how long would you say it took to start seeing signs of traction when you first started? I mean, it was a slow process, right? Like we went from like three retweets and five likes to like, then like a month later, like 20 to 30. And then, you know, slowly, slowly, like the last, I would say, I don't know what it's, it was. There was, 
you know, it was I'll tell you, actually I can tell you exactly. It was Netflix when Netflix did a, a tweet about um, what's one thing you can do that sounds like sex or something, a brand something you would do but also sounds like sex or something stupid and. Every brand did it. Like, you remember it was like, and like they were gross. Like kettle chips was like, stick your fist inside me. Like some of them were really disgusting. And like people went for it. Like every like, brand went whoa. nuts. Yeah. And so we did one. I was like, oh man, I was like really stressed. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I got a comment here. So with this Netflix thing, someone had said like, come and go. This is, this tweet's born for you or something. And I was like, I just tweeted like, nope, not touching this one. And it got like 47,000 likes. And it was, it just like, it went crazy. Like it was, and it was like in Buzzfeed and stuff. And I was like, Yes, like that was a moment where I was like, after that, things we grew quite a bit, and again, organically, and it that's when things kind of got better. And then the other thing that happened is we got connected with um, this guy Yashar from the Huffington Post. You know that the, he's huge on Twitter. He kind of like started liking a lot of our tweets and sharing stuff, uh, probably because of our name. Um, and we saw that bring us a huge boost. You know, obviously, influencers can have a huge impact on. On, how, on who sees your brand and, and how they see your brand. So that stuff like that, occasionally we get some influencers who come in again, organically, and we see a lot of play from that. So you never know what tweet it could be. It just one or two big ones. That's it, right? Like it's, it's really like, I, I still, I'm consistently like blown away by that. So if you could distill it down in a, a couple sentences, what, what is it that makes come and go successful on, on social? The freedom to kind of go like really blue sky in terms of that space. I, I came from like a pretty conservative place in the International Red Cross in Switzerland. Um, they were amazing. And we grew an incredible following there on Twitter and, and across our social media. And it was an amazing work experience. But again, by nature, a uh, humanitarian organization dealing with some pretty intense life or death issues is going to be fairly conservative with what you can post and, you know, how much fun you can have with verbiage or whatever. So coming here um, and and them being and them saying, like, yep, go has really been, I think, instrumental. I don't think it would be possible without that. And I think, you know, the challenge always is, I'm sure you guys face this, like when you're working with a brand, it's it's how can you cut through the layers? Because I think the whole thing about Twitter is that it's so ephemeral, right? It's so immediate. It's like Elon Musk's kid's name is whatever. I want to, I tweet, come and yeah, I saw that. symbols, like quickly, like, you know, and that's like stuff like that just has to have, it's that organic feeling, right? Like, so I think like the, the ability to kind of, to execute really quickly without layers of, of kind of validation or green lighting or whatever allows for the closer you can get to the platform, the, the closer you can get to kind of like growing it. So I know we've been talking a lot about social when it comes to yep. traditional PR and social. I know those are blending together more than ever. How does traditional PR at uh, come and go work with social? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm sort of, I run our PR. I am the PR guy. So I'm the spokesperson. Um, and that's actually really my like my primary what, what I was hired to do. So I one of the, another reason why I'm a big Twitter guy is that you know everyone's not on Twitter, but every journalist is on Twitter, and every story I want to tell, I want to make sure that I'm there on Twitter first because I know that everyone's going to be looking on every journalist will be looking on Twitter and seeing it on Twitter first, and that's why again I need them to follow me, like I need them to like me um, and find me you know engaging, so and give them a reason. So everything we do, I, I try to make sure it's Twitter first. And I've been that way for years. I, I think, yeah, to your point, it's all blending. Um, and you know, what we see is I can post something when I put out a press release again, like I want to make sure that I go, I have the bones of it. That's a tweet. And maybe that's the CEO tweeting it, or we take a screenshot of literally like, you know, a note and that goes out on a tweet first. And 
we are, and then maybe the press release, you know, by the time that gets out, yeah, we'll get, we email it and we'll get a response and sure we see it again. And not everyone in the mid, you know, in this region, I would say is it's not like, you know, there's still plenty of room for the traditional media release and we still get plenty of phone calls and media requests. And I do a lot of quotes like that via the phone. But as you said, like, I think as he's, I don't really see a difference anymore because it, they all exist in one. And, and I don't, I personally don't know anyone who's picked up a physical copy of a newspaper in a very, very long time. So, and, and I don't know anyone that really, I don't know many people who are watching, tuning in at six o'clock to watch the news, but we still have that, of course. And I still make sure that we are able to engage them, you know, generally through a phone call. So uh, when it comes to the fanny pack campaign or any, any campaign that you guys are yep. running through social is, are, are you typically pitching more traditional press releases on the PR route before going live with those campaigns? Or is it more Twitter first in that scenario as well? I mean, it depends. I think, and it, I guess it also depends like where. So for example, like if we're doing something in Iowa, for focusing on Iowa, I mean, I was small and the Iowa media ecosystem is pretty small and I've been here for a year, but I know most of the people. Um, so I can, I can call them now. It's not like I'm not in New York where I have to, you know, wade through all this. There's that. And I think, and then for something like the fanny pack, I get the, the target, you know, we got a piece of the, the fanny pack. Yeah. There's a piece in the fanny pack on, about the fanny packs of the Des Moines Register. Um, I'm trying to remember how that came about. I think I, they reached out about like, oh, they're seeing like fashion design. And the woman actually who wrote it, Lynn, was like one of our first like great followers on Twitter. Like, oh, we, we still engage with her quite a bit. So I think we, I built a lot of relationships with media with from Come and Go's Twitter handle to individual media. Like I actually tweeted uh, a few months ago, Gannett, Gannett um, announced layoffs as you like, you know, restructuring. And I, I did like a come and go tweet, which was like support local media. And I tagged all the Gannett papers in our footprint um, just because I think it's important to support newspapers. And and it was cool. Like I, I like being able to, that has essentially nothing to do with coming, although we do still get newspapers. But like, I think it's important to use that voice to, you know, do good things. And I, I don't know, that was important. And I also think that that helps us. I think it engenders probably some more followers. It helps us grow our followers amongst the, the people who write for those magazines. So to me, it's like a win on a bunch of fronts. Is there anything that, that you guys have found successful aside from just being witty and posting good content that has helped grow that, that audience base? I mean, the, the, like I said, the fanny packs were a really like a real touchstone because it, they fanny packs are not expensive and they're really fun or they were, you know, and again, it was like, Oh, you just did this for the summer. So it was like, everyone wants a fanny pack. So it was like, when I started here, I, I knew the, the merch is very popular, not because it's like the most beautiful shirts and hats that we have in the world. It's because people driving through from the East Coast to the West Coast, pass through Missouri and see something say, come and go. They laugh and want a lighter like that's and I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I think that's something we want to continue to kind of leverage. So finding new ways to engage um, limited edition merch stuff, I think, is something I want to continue to, to work with. I think we've seen a lot of really good growth. And social media and, and again a lot of a lot of people like coming to our stores being like hey where do i get a fanny pack are there any any other brands on social that you think are doing a really great job um yeah i mean there's so many there's i think there's so many amazing brands i i, I think Steakum does a great job um i think you know in terms in the in the convenience store world i'm friends with one of the guys that's uh, that runs the one for for sheets and we've like had a lot of like interplay with sheets the company from the east coast uh they do fantastic job um God, what else? I mean, Moon Pie, Sunny D, Oreo, like, I don't know. There's so much good brand Twitter out there. I think, I think what's fun about it um, is that everyone it's, I like, I really like the community of brand Twitter people. Um, I know a bunch of them. That's actually how I know I met Nate. And it's just like a lot of really, really funny um, 
shit posters who are always trying to like out tweet each other in a really, but like in a really friendly way and a really like supportive, it's a very supportive community, the brand Twitter community, I think I've seen. And like, there's just some really great, you know, some really incredible voices out there. I mean, Dave Jorgensen, the TikTok guy from Washington Post, um, Harrison, the guy who runs Bush's Beans. I mean, these are like, you know, luminaries in the field. So I'm always like learning from those guys. And I think they're all really good. Twitter has its own, own subculture, its own culture. It's not even a subculture. It's just, there's so many subcultures, but totally. well, I, I feel like there, at least for a period of time, a lot of brands were kind of sleeping on Twitter or thought that the the platform was going downhill. What, uh, what do you have to say to, yeah. to people who, or to brands who don't believe in Twitter? I don't think after the 2016 election, that's possible to believe that anymore. I don't even know how to engage in that. I think we've seen the extraordinary power that Twitter has. Not, not. I don't, I'm not saying Twitter like won the Trump the election or anything like that. Or I'm not making any kind of comment there. But just that, like the fundamental power of a platform like Twitter that democrat that shows um, that highlights, you know, whether it's police violence or uh, something funny that Wendy's did. Like we're seeing, I think, kind of like a new. It's changed the way we kind of understand and mediate culture. And I, like I said, like I think Twitter, everyone doesn't have Twitter, but everyone who's deciding what you want to watch is on Twitter. So you can't deny the influence that it has. It's just impossible. It, it's so prevalent and profound. And you even see it in the way that, and again, I'm a huge Instagram fan and I think it's really important and I think it's it can do a lot. But I think you see the way that Twitter translates to Instagram. Some of our best posts on Instagram are often screenshots of tweets, right? Like there's just something about I don't know what it is, the platform that I think really, um, yeah, is really, has really changed the way like we see and engage. Not, not all for good. In fact, probably largely for bad, but um, it's, it's a powerful, powerful platform. We've got a, a few questions that we ask each one of our guests. And uh, first one, so are there any yeah. books that uh, have had an impact on you or on the way that you think about marketing your business? Yeah. So I, you know, I, it's what I was thinking about that question. Like, um, I don't have like a good, like I'm not, I don't read like, I don't have like a Gary Vee book or anything, but I, there's this book that I, I want to throw in there that has, and it's actually related to my last answer. Um, that not about marketing at all, but about social media. Uh, it's called Antisocial by Andrew Morantz. He's the writer from hmm. uh, the New Yorker. And, and it's, um, it's a really, really good book. It's a really powerful look at how social media has kind of changed the way we think and see and relate to one another. And, and it specifically kind of looks at, how different players um, large on the fringes of sort of different movements, largely in like the alt-right, but looking at people like Mike Cernovich or, or Laura, Laura Loomer or, you know, Jacob Wool, uh, kind of, it's a really interesting look at how they have used the platform and also how, you know, how, the, how Donald Trump has used this platform to really kind of change the way we consume media and engage with one another. I, I found it really, really powerful uh, and really kind of eye-opening. And again, I think, I think these platforms are really important. It's my, I do it for a living, but I also think it's important um, to know how to like engage with them in a smart way and engage with them in a way that you can also disconnect from them and disengage and remember the the world out there. Interesting. I will definitely have to look into that. Probably buy it and intend yeah, to read awesome. it, and then it'll sit on my my bookshelf for for years. Let me know what you think of it. I'm, I I think yeah, it's it's really cool. It's a really good book. If you could go back in time to give yourself yeah. as you're just entering the workforce a piece of marketing or a career advice that you've picked up along the way, what would it be? I think you know have I think have the courage of your convictions. There's so much bad content out there, and there are so many people and companies and brands and creative agencies and and all that and production houses that are just doing really, really mediocre content. And 
like you see it, you see it every day. We like swim in it, right? Like every day, whether you're on your phone or your computer or on TV, there's just like just just terrible commercials and terrible content. And occasionally, you see something that's great, and you see something that's really funny or sad or moving or memorable. And I think if you feel if you're like when you when you're working and you're like God, the only reason I'm going to watch this is because I'm being paid to watch this, then you're doing something wrong. So when you find something, you know, if you have an idea and even and it's weird or it's out there, it's kind of you know, it's not like what everyone else is doing. If you have the courage to kind of continue to push it and try to get it out there because I think that's the stuff that can really break ground and kind of move the needle. And I think sometimes that stuff, if it's new, no one's done it or it's maybe it's unpopular. It's like you got to just kind of go and take that risk, you know. And at the end of the day, that must, my old boss used to tell me, like, the Internet's just pixels, man. Like, you can always change it. So don't get like too precious about it either. Great advice and <laughs> great insights across the board. I, I love what you guys are doing on all your social channels, especially Twitter. Oh man, thank you. I have to admit, I was on the the Twitter hater bandwagon a you couple are. years ago, but I, I've since I've since switched over. I've been converted and, and, and a believer. Right on. So I, even more so now. Thank you, and thank you for. I mean, I, I think you guys are doing amazing work. It's super cool to connect with you, and I really appreciate you inviting me. This has been super fun. Hey, well, thanks for thanks for coming on to the show. Where can our listeners go to keep up with you? and see what Come and Go is, is up to. Uh, yeah, at K-U-M-A-N-D-G-O on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And we are on TikTok. We're at Real Come and Go. And follow me on Twitter at A-R-I-E-L-J-R-U-B-I-N. You are the man. And uh, thanks for coming on. Dude, thank you so much. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this interview. Thank you all so much for listening. Really excited for this season that we have ahead of us, and I hope you are too. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you all in the next episode. Food Marketing Nerds is a production of Blue Bear Creative. For interview transcripts and other downloadable resources, head to foodmarketingnerds.com. 